So if you want to open to uh, chapter 20, we are, we are uh, into John chapter 20 this morning. <clears throat> and we've been, uh, do you realize we have been studying this gospel for two years now? Verse by verse, you know, it's for two years. We've got two chapters to go yet. We will get there, I promise. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's my, my prayer that this, this verse by verse study of God's Word has changed you. Um, I, I hope that the, the Holy Spirit has, has shown you things in this book that you've never noticed before. Uh, it's my, my hope and prayer that you have a greater hunger for God's Word than you've ever had before. Uh, it's my, my hope and prayer that you have a better relationship with God than you've ever had before. Probably most of all, it's, it's my hope and prayer that you recognize that if you do have a deeper relationship with God, if you have a stronger hunger for His Word, a stronger hunger for fellowship with Him, if you find yourself desiring to draw near to Him, I, realize, I hope you realize it's, that's the working of Almighty God within your heart. I hope you realize that it's the promise of Scripture that through His Word, through knowing Him through His Word, through desiring to know Him better, through the study of His Word, you will know Him better. Not only that, you'll know yourself better. Brenda and I have been ministering to a family this recently who is in a very serious situation. Somebody dealing with the ramifications of a serious sin that started as something seemingly harmless. Someone with, with no connection to this church, but uh, a, a close friend. And I spent several hours with this person, with one of the people earlier this week, and it's just it's stuck with me. Uh, it's, it's really... Uh, caused me to search myself. I've been brokenhearted over the situation. I've been crying out to the Lord for these people who we care very deeply about, and it's shocked me as I've seen how quickly and easily we, find, we can find ourselves headfirst falling down the slippery slope of sin. People in the church are not immune to this. This, is, this individual is someone who knows the Lord. Uh, I think sometimes we think we are safe because after all, we are, we're here, right? We, we come to church, we hear the sermon, we sing the songs, we give our offerings. How could we possibly fall into sin? It happens every day. Uh, as I was trying to give counsel to this person, I could see the misery he was in because of his sin. He knew he sinned. He's dealing with the aftermath of this sin. There could be uh, some serious ramifications from this sin. And I, and I asked him, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you placed your trust in Him and only in Him? And, and he has. He, he knows the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. And so I reassured him that if he knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, Jesus is holding on to him. 
He's, he's not saved because he's holding on to Jesus. He's, uh, God's Word tells us God is holding on to us and we cannot be separated from Him. But, then I told him, there are sins that have continuing impact on our lives. There are sins that we will continue to, to, in a sense, pay for while we are on this earth. There are some sins that lead to, you know, let's be honest, there are sins that lead to jail time. There are sins that lead to uh, family issues. There are sins that lead to loss of job. There are sins that lead to all kinds of things. And so they have a, a, a continuing effect in that sense. We are forgiven of them. You know, those sins were paid for on the cross, and when we leave uh, this world, those sins are not brought up again. We're not judged worthy of heaven or hell based on those sins because if we trust in Jesus, He took them away on the cross. You know, He has taken them as far as the east is from the west, and for the last several weeks, we've been studying that moment in history. We've been studying the moment in history when Jesus the Christ took our sins on Him and He took them away. He, he paid for them. He paid in full. He, he didn't simply cover them, which is what happened in the Old Testament with the blood sacrifices. No, He, he paid the full penalty. Last week we saw that Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body of Jesus. He and Nicodemus took the body, they prepared it for burial, they, they wrapped it in linens and perfumes and, uh, to mask the impending smell of death that would soon be coming. They knew he was dead. There was no doubt about that, but then came Sunday morning. They, they placed him in, on the, in the tomb on Friday before sunset. Saturday was Sabbath, and then Sunday morning they went to the tomb to finish the preparation for burial. And that's where we find ourselves this morning at the beginning of chapter 20. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read kind of a, a big chunk. Uh, I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 18. It says, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, so the disciples went again, went, uh, <clears throat> the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet 
where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to the text where we read about the empty tomb. What a what an amazing, fearful, shocking thing that must have been that first that first Easter morning to to come to the tomb and find it empty. Lord, not knowing that it was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead just as he said he would. But believing that his his body had been stolen. Lord, the the question for, for all the ages is what does the empty tomb mean for us? Lord, as we come to this text this morning, I hope that each of us will will ask ourselves, what does it mean to me that the tomb was empty? What does that say about Jesus? What does that say about John's purpose in writing this book, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, have life in his name? Lord, I pray that all of us would would look at this text and see an empty tomb because there was a risen Savior. And that all of us would trust in that Savior as our Savior. Trust in the death of Jesus Christ as the payment of our sin. Trust in the resurrection as the proof that that death was an acceptable sacrifice for the payment of our sin. Lord, I just I pray that the, the Holy Spirit would be working in, working in our hearts to, to cause us to believe that, to cause us a stronger belief in that, to strengthen our faith so that we can even say with the, the father of the, the young boy who was demon-possessed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I pray that we would leave this morning with a stronger belief than, than we came in here with. We just thank you and praise you. 
Amen. So, I, I want to ask, and, and I want to, I want you to answer this question for yourself: What will you do with the empty tomb? You know, I mean, isn't this the question? What does the empty tomb mean for the claims of Jesus? Uh, what does the empty tomb mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your life? What does it what does it have to do with the forgiveness of sin? Now, we know the Lord was laid in the tomb on Friday. The religious leaders were afraid that the followers of Jesus would come and steal the body and say that he had been resurrected. So in Matthew 27, we read, Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, so this is Saturday, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now, why did they do this? They wanted the tomb to be sealed and guarded. Now, what was the seal? <clears throat> you know, it, was a, it was a wax seal. They would pour it on the tomb, and a Roman stamp would be pressed into it. It was not meant to lock the tomb down. It was meant to indicate that Rome had closed this tomb, and only Rome could open it back up. And then the guards were placed in front of the tomb uh, as a second line of defense you know, against someone coming and, and opening the tomb and stealing the body. Now, just a, just a side note to think about. The Roman guards are charged with making sure no one comes in and steals the body of Jesus. Their life is on the line to make sure this, this body does not get stolen. Do you think, you know, so he was laid in there Friday night. They roll the tomb in front, or they roll the stone in front of the tomb. Saturday, some point Saturday, they go to guard the tomb. Now, do you think they rolled that stone away to make sure he was still in there um, before they would guard the tomb? I, I think they most certainly would have. Uh, they, they would have arrived at the tomb, rolled the stone away, looked inside to make sure Jesus was still there, rolled the, tome, to, uh, rolled the stone back in front, and put the seal on it. Otherwise, if they rolled it open and this body had already been stolen, they would have ran back and told Pilate because their life is on the line. Right? They're not going to risk their life over overlooking something so simple as, is he, you know, is he still there at this point? But they seal the, they seal the tomb and they, they put guards there. Jesus is there. Sunday morning, the ladies came to the tomb to prepare the body for burial. Mark tells us in, the, in his gospel, the ladies are walking along and they're, you know, they're wondering to each other, well, who's going to open the tomb for us? You know, who's going to roll the stone away? 
they were expecting this stone is going to be in front of this tomb and you know this stone that, that physically probably could not move you know it's a stone that would have weighed hundreds of pounds uh, they expected it to be there they expected Jesus to be dead and so you can imagine their horror as they walk up to this tomb and stones rolled away and the, the tomb is empty. The, the guards are apparently gone by this time. And why wouldn't they be? Right? There was nothing more to guard. Matthew tells us in chapter 28 that sometime overnight from Saturday into Sunday morning, this major earthquake happens. And an angel of the Lord came down with the appearance of lightning and rolled the stone away. When this happened, the text says the guards became like dead men. They were, they were knocked out cold. So let's stop there. Why did the angel roll the stone away? Was it to let Jesus out? No, of course not. Remember later in the day, they're in the upper room and he walks right through into the upper room through the secure door. They, the angel rolled the stone away so that the people could get in, right? So they could get in and see the empty tomb. But the tomb, tomb is open. The tomb is emptied. Guards are, you know, they're KO'd. They're laying on the ground. They wake up and see the empty tomb. They know what that means for them. So they go to the Jewish leaders to explain what happened, probably hoping for some sympathy, and Matthew records that. We, we don't know how Matthew got that information. Right? Either the Holy Spirit revealed it to him or someone was there and witnessed it and told it to him, but the Jewish leaders knew exactly what an empty tomb meant. They knew an empty tomb meant a resurrected Jesus. And a resurrected Jesus meant that everything he said was true. So they bribed the guards. The, uh, the, the guards had nothing to lose, right? I mean, at this point, they have nothing to lose. If it's found out that they allowed the tomb to be opened and the body stolen, even if it happened by angelic forces, they're punishable by death. So they go to the Jewish leaders, and we see that interaction in Matthew 28. It begins in verse 11. It says, Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep, him out of, keep you out of trouble. They took the money, did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. I, I asked earlier, what are you going to do with the empty tomb? This is, this is where the, the rubber meets the road. You know, there have been several ridiculous beliefs over this centuries by sinful people trying to escape the reality of an empty tomb. You know, one of the beliefs is that Jesus' disciples stole his body. You know, Matthew records the bribery, I just read that, of the guards. And there are people who say, no, no, you know, that actually did happen. The disciples did steal the body. 
You know, Matthew put that in his gospel to cover it up. Jesus remained dead and the disciples stole the body. They perpetuated this lie that he was resurrected so that they could have power. Do you realize how stupid that is? Maybe that's too harsh to say, but what happened to the disciples? Think about Stephen. If Jesus were not resurrected, if Jesus remained dead, how stupid was Stephen? He was stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel, for condemning the Jews, for putting an innocent man to death, a man who Stephen proclaimed resurrected from the dead. Do you really think Stephen would have boldly kept pushing the atoning death of Christ if it was all a lie? Do you really think he would have given his life up for that? And maybe you say, well, yeah, but Stephen, you know, he, was, he wasn't one of the eleven. He was tricked too, you know. Well, how did the rest of the disciples die? What happened to the other eleven? You know, Judas is already, he's, he's already dead. He's hung himself. How did the eleven die? And he wasn't a true disciple anyways, right? But, uh, you know, crucified skinned alive, thrust through with a sword, beheaded, tortured, beaten. Only John, the writer of this gospel, was not put to death, but he died in exile on the island of Patmos, which was a prison. Do you really think they would have done this to protect a lie? Do you really think these men, think about these men, who only a few short days later scattered under the threat of persecution would now lie and bring the very same persecution that they fled onto themselves. Now it seems that John was the only of the eleven left there at the end of the crucifixion. You know, because remember, Jesus looks down at him and, Son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. You know, think about it. Peter ran off. Why'd Peter run off after Jesus was arrested? A slave girl points him out. Peter runs off, you know, basically runs off scared. And now people think that Peter watched Jesus be scourged. So remember, as, Peter's, as Jesus is being scourged, he and Peter make eye contact. So, you know, Peter, who is denying Jesus three times with cursing, he watched him be scourged. He watched him crucified. And he knows he died on the cross. And that emboldened Peter to steal the body. Which would have gotten him killed if he were caught. Not only did he steal the body, but he hid it somewhere and perpetuated a lie that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then Peter, little... Scared Simon Peter, so boldly proclaimed what he knew he what he knew was a lie, continued to proclaim it to the point that he was crucified himself for this message. Is that even plausible? Peter and the disciples were scared to death. After the crucifixion, they're cowering in a room somewhere, hoping the Romans didn't come knock on the door and take them and nail them to a cross. Instead, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to come. They came and asked for the body. 
You know, the disciples are nowhere around to do it. You know, while the, the men, right, they're cowering in the room, the women came to prepare the body for burial. And, you know, you have sinful people that want us to think that the disciples stole the body. They didn't even want anyone to know that they knew Jesus. They did not steal the body. Jesus resurrected from the dead. God raised him from the dead because he accomplished exactly what he said he would accomplish. Again, what do you do with the empty tomb? You know, some say Jesus was just badly injured. Have you heard this? It's known as the swoon theory. This could even be dumber than the first one. It says Jesus was beaten. You know, he was beaten up pretty badly, but he just needed a good rest. Then after, you know, he has this nice spa experience, you know, laying on the cool rock in this cool tomb. He got up all refreshed and you know, rolled the stone out of the way, and he just walked out of the tomb. First off, he was dead. Okay, Jesus was dead. Even if he were not, he could not have rolled the stone out of the way. This is a large round stone. If you imagine, in front of the tomb, there'd be a little indent. And they'd roll that stone and it would drop into that indent so that, to make it, so it doesn't roll away, right? To make it difficult to move. There would have been nothing on the inside to grab hold of. If you can... Imagine an opening with a flat stone against it, larger than the opening, uh, no place to grab onto, and even if he could, it's a stone that weighs hundreds of pounds, not only needs to roll, but it first needs to lift. And even if there was a place to grab hold of, even if Jesus had the strength to do this, three days earlier he had a spear thrust into his side. Now, have you ever had any sort of a puncture wound in your side? Something that's cut the muscle. I remember when my appendix was removed. Uh, afterwards, for several weeks, it was very difficult for me to work. I admit I was doing more than I should have been doing. But in order to lift anything, I would literally hold my stomach with one hand and push against the wound to kind of hold everything together and then lift with the other arm. Even if the wound in his side was somewhat superficial, which it wasn't, but, you know, if it got into the muscle, there was no way that he would have physically been able to roll that stone away. Plus, we had the fact that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you know, two men who had hidden their belief, didn't want anyone to know that they knew Jesus, but suddenly come out publicly to, to take the body, we add in that they took the body, anointed it for burial. We add in that Pilate gave the body, which he wouldn't have done if Jesus were not dead. We add in that the women came with spices to anoint the body. Everyone believed and everyone knew that Jesus was dead. So again, what do you do with the empty tomb? The, the, the Jews placed a guard at the door. They had the tomb sealed. They bribed the guards to say his disciples stole the body. They were trying to stop the body from being stolen. They were trying to thwart Christianity before they even knew Christianity would, would begin. They were trying to maintain their control. But in doing all of that, 
They made themselves the perfect witness to the resurrection of Christ. All of their precautions, all of their planning to prevent the theft of the body, you know, them being the ones that uh, asked for him to be put to death. Now they're trying to stop the body from being stolen. They go through all these pre precautions. They only proved that his body was not stolen. Their precautions only helped to prove that no one stole the body. They only helped to prove that, yes, in fact, Jesus really did resurrect from the dead. They, you know, their bribing the guards only poured more onto their judgment. They only condemned themselves in trying to condemn and stop Jesus. So, again, what do you do with the empty tomb? Will you uh, try to make excuses as to why Jesus did not resurrect from the dead? Will you ignore the clear evidence? Will you try to appease your condemning conscience by saying, no, he really didn't raise from the dead? It was a hoax. The disciples must have stolen the body. There's no way a dead man, you know, there's no way a dead man can raise from the dead. Or maybe you're here and you say, well, of course I know the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. I, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but for you, I also ask, what does the empty tomb mean for you? Does it mean the absolute and total forgiveness of sin? Does it mean to you that you can be more like Him? Does it mean to you that because He died and rose again, He sent the Holy Spirit just as He promised? Does it mean to you that the sin you commit this afternoon or tomorrow or this week has already been atoned for? It's been atoned for. Jesus has paid for it. As I said last week, He is off the cross. The sacrifice is finished. The sin is paid for, but that doesn't mean it's okay to commit it. That doesn't mean you should say, well... You know, I can, I can commit this sin and I'm already forgiven. His death on the cross, the empty tomb, is not your license to sin, knowing that you're going to be forgiven. No, it is a wonderful promise that you are forgiven. But it's also a grim reminder of the awful cost of sin. It's a reminder that sin brings death. A reminder that we are all guilty sinners, even if Jesus has taken on our punishment. Remember, even though that sin is forgiven, if you're here this morning knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you still need to confess and repent it. Repent of it. You need to quit that sin because even though it has been paid for at the cross, it will affect your fellowship with God here. It can still have long-lasting consequences in this life. So again, what do you do with the empty tomb? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful reality it is of, of your love, of your grace, of your forgiveness, of your hatred of sin, of your judgment, of your holy justice. 
when we look at the the empty tomb. Yes, it means that, that Jesus rose from the dead. It means that his death on the cross did pay for our sin. <clears throat> but it also means that we must repent and trust in him for salvation. It also means that our sin is so much worse than we could possibly imagine. It means that we truly do deserve the death that Jesus suffered because of our sin. We, we deserve that. But He willingly took it on Himself. But Lord, we must repent and believe. Lord, if, if we do not repent and believe and, and trust in Jesus, trust in His, His death on the cross, then we will die that death. We will pay that, pay that debt ourselves. But Lord, what a glorious truth is that it is that in trusting in you, you have paid for our sin. Lord, I just pray that anyone here who has not trusted in you as their Savior would do so, knowing that, that because the tomb was empty, because you came off the cross, because, because you died on the cross and, and rose again, your, your death was the satisfaction of our sin debt. Lord, I pray for all who are here who know you as Lord and Savior that that they would see the empty tomb as, as proof in the same way, as proof that sin's debt has been paid, that in trusting in you, our sins are forgiven in eternity. But we still need to confess them in, in time. Uh, we need to keep that fellowship with you. Uh, that sin will, sin will still build a wall between us and you in, in fellowship. And Lord, I just, I just continue to pray that it is our desire to know you better. It is our desire to to be continuously sanctified, continuously cleansed from sin by you, and that we would continuously be searching our own life for areas of sin that we need to confess. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen.